America. This is a sequel, so it's not coming to America, the 1988 film. It is coming the number two America. So that's that's easy to remember. Real uh, Abin can sell a bit trying to pronounce this title <laughs> on, on the airwaves. But yeah, it's coming the number mm-hmm. two America. Yeah, you can't see us quoting, you know, two fingers to show that it's coming to America. So this was directed by Craig Brewer. He did Dolomite Is My Name, also with Eddie Murphy, and that was a Netflix film. This was originally a Paramount film that got sold to Amazon Studios during the pandemic, and it's now being released digitally, which definitely feels kind of like an interesting move. They paid a lot of money for this, and already the budget was like $60 million. They spent money on this movie. And so for it to not get a theatrical release is kind of interesting, and just going straight to Amazon, I, I kind of wondered what the arithmetic is there i mean i i don't know i'm not at paramount i I can't say for certain but i have to imagine it's like well paramount is selling a lot of their movies already they're trying to like kind of get themselves out of a hole and they've been doing that this is great for paramount for sure yeah they got the best end of this deal oh for sure but i mean um they they sold trial chicago 7 like that's you know best picture runner so they sold that to netflix they sold a few other films uh they they sold um the cloverfield thing to them as well and I believe they sold something else to Amazon recently. But um, from their standpoint, I think they what sold, they were thinking. They sold Cinemaholics Plus. Sure. Sorry to announce that. Yeah. But I think from their, their perspective, they're looking at like, well, look at Borat 2 or Borat subsequent film, movie film. And like that did really well in the service. Like that was a film that like people weren't really expecting. That's a decades later sequel as well. And they, they put it on the service to great success. Uh, not to quote the movie, but. Uh, um, cringe. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it did really well on Amazon and it, it got a wide audience. And I think from their standpoint, because this deal was announced, I think only a month or two afterwards in December. So I think they were just like, well, if they can do really well with Borat two, they could probably do well at this. Cause we don't know if we can sell this well, like even if theaters yeah. open up in normal capacity, like there's no guarantee that this is going to do adequate business. Cause you know, it's a decades later sequel. We don't really know if this appeals to younger audiences. This is clearly more of a nostalgia thing. And like I said, with the budget that we have in this week, we can't say for certain this is going to do well. So I think that's their line of thinking, but I have no idea for certain. Yeah. I mean, that all makes sense. It's, yeah. There's a lot we obviously don't know and we kind of have to guess and pontificate, but yeah, overall, I think that for Paramount, it's a super fantastic deal just because they're washing their hands of this. And later in the week, we'll be talking more about Paramount Plus and all of that business, the streaming service, when we talk about SpongeBob, Sponge on the Run. But for now, we're talking about this one, which is on Amazon. And the original Coming to America, we have to say, was a huge, huge success. I did see a few people being like, oh, yeah, Coming to America, that cult classic. And I'm like, what planet are you from? That movie was one of the biggest films of the 80s. It made like, I think the I think over $100 million. $200 million, I believe, worldwide. Um, I think it was the third highest grossing film of 1988, if I'm not. Yeah. Yeah, there's some weird sort of like people who were born in the 90s like us um, kind of assuming this film wasn't some sort of big hit. I mean, when I was growing up, Coming to America was on TV like constantly. Like my first experience watching this movie was in bits and pieces on like TBS or TNT or whatever it was. So, yeah, this this definitely makes sense as a sequel. A lot of people know these characters are like the basic outline of this movie, right? Yeah, actually, I just looked it up. It's the second highest grossing film, 1988, after Who Framed Roger Rabbit. 
That's pretty wild. So this sequel takes place 30 years after the events of Coming to America. Now, that movie was a hard R. It had F-bombs. It had some gratuitous nudity. They've kind of sanitized it this time around. It's more of a PG-13 movie. That's not to say that the first one is a lot edgier. Uh, It's just more of like it has well-placed jokes that are more profane, I guess. I mean, by today's standards or like early, even like 2000 standards, it's not that edgy. But yeah, right. for like a like 80s studio comedy, it does. It has some thorns inside for sure. Sure, sure. Uh, the screenplay comes from Kenya Barris, Barry W. Blaustein and David Sheffield. And a lot of the original cast is returning here, mainly Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall. Great to see Arsenio Hall. And again, it's been a long, long time since we've seen him in a film. And uh, we haven't even seen him on like TV or anything. We've just kind of gotten like voice cameos and things like that from him, voice roles. Uh, But also joining the cast, we have some new characters. We have Jermaine Fowler, who plays like the bastard son of Eddie Murphy's character. And they have a whole thing. Uh, We also have Tracy Morgan, who plays his uncle. Leslie Jones, who plays his mother. There's a, now a retconning subplot where it turns out that Prince Akeem fathered a child in Queens. And if you thought the Wonder Woman 1984 sort of stuff was a little bit like, um, yeah. you know, had issues with consent. <laughs> yeah. Um, then, um, <laughs> yeah. Here I'm kind of again. surprised people aren't people aren't making a bigger deal about that. I was kind of surprised. Like, I mean, they might be and I'm just not seeing it. But I'm kind of like, this is this is uh, quite a choice for 2021. But yeah. Sure. I mean, I guess they they probably think because it's more of a comedy that it, you know, laughing at it, it's okay. I don't know. I guess with Wonder Woman, it was played a little bit more straight, which is probably more discomforting. But regardless, the whole point is consent is really important and we should not make light of that for sure. But this film just kind of uses that as a means to be like, oh, Prince Akeem didn't know he had a son. That's the whole plot purpose there. There's a lot of lampshading in this movie, by the way. Uh, But also some of the best new characters come in the form of Wesley Snipes, who plays this general character who's threatening the existence of Zamunda. There is uh, James Earl Jones, by the way, returns as the father. Sherry Headley is back, which is great. Uh, we also have Kiki Lane as one of Prince Akeem's daughters. And kind of this, this film kind of struggles with two different plots. There's a whole plot of how... So Prince Akeem has three daughters, but he has to have a male heir, he thinks, in order to have like a, a prince... Uh, on the throne once his father passes away and his daughter mika played by kiki lane is like well i can do it i've been training for this my whole life so there's that kind of side of the story of like the gender politics of monarchies in africa and all of that and then there's this other subplot of like jermaine fowler who goes from queens and he goes to zamunda to be like well i can be a prince and he kind of goes on like the uh you know, a Prince Aladdin adventure. Maybe we can bring up Aladdin uh, with every film review uh, this week. I don't know. But yeah, he has this whole thing. And I, I'm going to I'm just going to say this is definitely one of those movies that succeeds in spite of itself, but ultimately just is still very, very weak. I think this story is really basic and I think that it's just kind of an exercise in nostalgia for the sake of it. And I, re- I really didn't warm to it much. I rewatched Coming to America earlier this week and I definitely enjoyed it. You know, it's, it's never been a film that's been my favorite of the 80s comedies. I know people really, really love it. I think it's just kind of a breezy, enjoyable watch. And the McDowell's thing always gets me. I think with that and also John Amos comes back and this was just great. That stuff is gold. But then there's other things here that I think are just very dated. It just really feels like comedy that like people found funny in the 80s and 90s kind of making its way back again. And yeah, aside from that, there's just really not much standing out here. But what what do you think, Will? Did you uh, were you enjoying your revisit to America? 
Um, well, I will say, I mean, I, I also rewatched the first Coming to America as well. And I, I agree, it doesn't fully uh, work in a modern set, only in the sense that, like, not so much the comedy itself, but because um, the pacing of it is a lot more slack than I remember. Like yeah, you were saying, the it, end. It, that the last like 30 minutes is really boring to me. Like, it's just there's not much story there. And it, yeah, in a way that I kind of admire because it's like there's so much like rapid fire comedies right now that I kind of appreciate how much this, that movie is willing to just be like calm and in the moment. But at the same time, it does kind of feel like they're padding it out a lot, which is weird because it's almost two hours. Um, but nevertheless, uh, I still think that movie works. I think primarily what works is Eddie Murphy and his star power. Like he clearly, you know, he was coming off of the 80s like as this comedy legend type persona and he was you know fully relishing it and you know playing all these different characters same with arsenio hall like they they clearly made the most of that movie and it, it's easy to see how that was a huge hit now i think that's the type of movie that i think it's better to have like on like in the background like if you're like a cabin trip or something and like the boring moments you can kind of get up and like do whatever and then come back for like the barbershop scene and stuff like that i think that's the ideal way to watch it so i think putting this on amazon inadvertently was probably the better option because yeah. um I'll just say out front, I think this is a bad film. Like, I think it's almost terrible <laughs> just because, like you said, like it is so pandering. It's so, so much about the nostalgia of the brand that barely ever stands out on its own. But even the stuff that they add into it doesn't ever really fully work because it's trying to like kind of replicate the story, but also not. And it just doesn't ever really fully feel comfortable with itself, uh, even down to like the visual aesthetics of it. A lot of people have been talking about how it, you know, it looks worse than the first movie because it's shot on digital. And I think that's part of it. I also think it just has like this kind of like flat sitcom lighting to it as well. And there's just not a lot of like visual styles that come from shooting this primarily on green screens and stuff like that, which is very, very noticeable for the queen scenes. Um, but I, I do agree that like, I think, the stuff that works is when we actually get to see like Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall just having fun, kind of bouncing off each other. And then also we have like, you know, Wesley Snipes clearly having a ball with his supporting character. Tracy Morgan's fun in this. Um, Kiki Lane, I think, probably should have been given more to do because she's clearly, you know, act out acting most of the people in this movie uh, in terms of her performance. But I just found it to be a really just embarrassing and sad ordeal to sit through. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that this film... Critics in general have been really turning against it, and it's very mixed. Like I think uh, right now on Rotten Tomatoes, it's it's like fifty two percent, and that's kind of how I'm feeling. I I don't think it's actively terrible. I just think it's very mediocre. Uh, I, I want to read a piece from uh, one of our colleagues, Katya Woods, who wrote about the film for Cup of Soul. And uh, she said the one positive about coming to America is Eddie Murphy. He still gives us moments of laughter despite uh, the above, which she's been she's been kind of getting in the negatives at this point. His talent will shine no matter how dated the situation. The set design and costuming are also festive. Academy Award winner Ruth Carter did bring a little of Wakanda to Zamunda. It was also lovely to see how Zamunda, the country, operated. The last film took place primarily in Queens. The other highlight was seeing Morgan Freeman and James Earl Jones in a movie together. I guarantee that will be a Jeopardy question down the road. I think she's kind of getting to like how this film, it does feel like a party, you know, a party of just like it's enjoying itself. These characters are having such a good time. It's almost pretty infectious. So I've spent a lot of my time just sort of enjoying this, you know, the attitude of the people involved. It doesn't look like anybody who's in this doesn't want to be there. And so th that does for me at least go a long way because I just felt like I was enjoying being back in this world again. Now, a lot of the stuff in here really just does not age well. There's still a lot of like just little things here and there, like the colorism of Vanessa Bell Call Callaway just doesn't quite uh, 
re- and it doesn't get reckoned with in a way that I think is pretty fair. That's something the original film absolutely suffered from. Um, in addition, I just I think that the gender politics are, of this are really really weak. I think that everything going on here with the agency of Mika and the you know how women in this film are treated, I think is very uh, it's a very mixed effort at best. But yeah, it's it's such an unassuming film. I think it can be very easy for people to sort of like sit down, watch it, kind of just like crank it out on a, a lazy afternoon. It's definitely that kind of film. It's uh, it's more of a take it or leave it kind of film than anything else. So I'm, I'm not super, super negative with it. Yeah, I mean, I think talking with you, I'm more positive than I was when I was watching it. I do think, I mean, to your point, like I think they're trying to be uh, inclusive with the gender politics. I just think the execution of it's kind of clumsy. Like, I don't think it's for a lack of trying. I th- I just think the execution of it is just from like older guys. who I just don't think really know how exactly to communicate this message, which is unfortunate. But I do agree. I think um, as the, your, the reviewer mentioning was pointing out, like, I think this movie is sort of the opposite of the first in that, like the end of it is, I think, where it starts to kind of pick up and come alive as opposed to the uh, original film where it just kind of like deflates to its end. Um, yeah. This one, like I think, like you said, like when it is just like the characters having fun and like that that party at that aesthetic to it, I think that is when it actually starts to like really kind of have fun in an infectious sort of way and it's not in a forced sort of way. Now, there's still a lot of like awkward um, like callbacks to the, the first film that come at the end and that it's really hard to sit through because it's just like, here's this reference and remember this shot and you know this one and here's this thing too. And, and that's annoying. But yeah. um, at the same time, like you said, like the, the production quality of it, especially coming from a studio comedy, because it's so rare now to see studio comedies put this much money into something, especially when it comes to building a world like uh, like the ones we see here. And I think, you know, Ruth Carter's work obviously is is quite good. Um, I don't think it's quite on par with Black Panther, but it's still, you know, clearly like the costumes here are an upgrade from the first film, which, you know, especially re watching the film, there is kind of like a cheesiness to it. That That's kind of fun, but definitely an improvement over that. But yeah, I want to call out on that note, Tiana Taylor, uh, who plays the daughter of General Easy, um, her her whole scene, um, also where Wesley Snipes is involved with Jermaine Fowler, there's this like musical sequence that happens that is a blast, like a total blast. I, I thought that that was one of the parts points where I was like, can this be the movie? <laughs> you know? Yeah, especially because it kind of is lazy otherwise. And it's just like if you're just going to have like a fun get together party, just might as well just relish that. And I think it does at times, but at the same time, I just I, I just don't think it's really quite there. It just it's just an underwhelming effort by and large. And I mean, I don't know. I'm not the biggest fan of these like decades later sequels to begin with. I was even that crazy about the new Bill and Ted. So I, I, I'm coming at this with a disadvantage. But I do like the first movie and I wanted this movie to succeed primarily because, you know, even though we just had Dolomite is my name, like, you know, Eddie Murphy still hasn't really come back in a big way yet. And uh, I, I was hoping this movie could be that for him. And I just don't think it is. And that's really unfortunate. But it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Maybe maybe his comeback will coincide with uh, the next Shrek movie. Who knows? But yeah, yeah, I, I definitely am kind of feeling pretty middling with this. I, I give it like a C. I think it's like half good, half bad, that kind of thing. And it's definitely not like Borat's subsequent movie film. It's not Bill and Ted. It's, it's not even something like Doctor Sleep, another kind of sequel, I guess. It really is just sort of the kind of thing that I think people will definitely not really remember for a long time and just go back to the original film whenever they want to revisit and have fun with these characters. But again, if you love that film, if you love those characters and you just want to see what's next for them, this is a pretty, this is a no brainer. I mean, just it's on Amazon prime. It's pretty accessible and a lot of people won't be disappointed watching it. I don't think so. Yeah. It's a C for me. What about you, Will? 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a C minus on it. it. It reminded me a decent bit of Jay and Silent Bob reboot, where it's like kind of trying to reckon with the new age, but just so caught up in its own nostalgia that it just can't really fully be its own thing. And at, in one respect, like it's obviously just hearkening to the fans, and and I can respect that. But at the same time, as someone who liked the original film, I just found those callbacks to be really tiring and forced, and in a way that felt like like kind of like a Super Bowl commercial, like when they bring back the dude or when they brought back uh, Wayne and Garth for that Wayne's World Uber thing. It just was like. Yeah. Just let them be. Just let them be of their time. You know, it's just like I, I get the the desire to like bring these characters back. I, I obviously want to see them again, but it's like not like this, not like this. Um, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I didn't have fun with this and I found it to be uh, probably the worst thing we talked about this week. So, yeah, a disappointing film for me. All right. Well, if you want to see Coming to America for yourself, it is now available to stream on Amazon Prime Video. It is 110 minutes long. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to subscribe to Cinemaholics on your favorite podcast app of choice or find us on YouTube. See you all next time.